With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Long radio program. Raw and uncut, nigga Jack. You know how you do it. You know what I'm saying? Keeping it all the way live. Broadcasting live from Hutchinson, Kansas. Well, I'm sitting here with a linguist. I had a linguist. no idea. <laughs> I love I didn't that. know you were a term, but I didn't know that you were a wordsmith. <laughs> Call Jiggy right now. 267 22 Jiggy. Hey, Jiggy, what's happening, man? It reminds me of that uh, David Bowie song. Jiggy, play guitar, Jeff. It's a great name, man. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Presenting. I'm, I'm Mike Massey, and, uh, you know, you can catch me on Jiggy Jag TV and uh, see a few of my tricks up there. Thank you very much. Jiggy Jaguar. I never knew what freedom was until I saw you lose yours. Welcome to an action-packed edition of the world-famous Jiggy Jaguar radio program. Coast to coast, to border to border on AMFM, 247.com, iHeartRadio as well. And uh, we're going to be getting to our guests here in just a few moments. I want to bring in our regular panelists. We've got Don Mazella and Dan Perkins. Uh, both of them are uh, ready to go and make, making stuff happen. Uh, we also have on the line with us. A uh, fabulous, fabulous guest. He is uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, John's book, As America Has Done to Israel, showing that takes a, care of that. A, a direct correlation between America pressuring Israel to give up promised land and corresponding disasters hitting the U.S. and the companion DVD series, America's Fatal Mistake, is available USAProphecy.com for more information. Our guest today is, of course, Mr. John McTurnan. John, how are you, sir? I'm doing fine. And we've also, we've also got with us Dan Perkins and Don Mazella, the two guys from Verona on W4CY each and every week. And uh, they join us on our, uh, on our program uh, each and every Tuesday as well for iHeartRadio and AMFM247.com. And uh, Dan Perkins fairly recently made an appearance on our uh, Access TV uh, program that we did, uh, I believe it was last Thursday. Uh, the premise... Yeah. The premise, John and Don, was gun control. Uh, Israel, a.k.a. Sean Gates, decided, hey, we're going to go off script and talk race. So Dan was right there to uh, to ask the tough questions, and uh, uh, they're going to be putting that up on uh, on Access TV's YouTube channel. We'll be putting that on our website at JiggyJaguar.com, and I, and I understand they're also uh, replaying the program, uh, I believe, this week and next week. So uh, that, 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 that was quite the... Quite the deal, Dan. Uh, <laughs> it was. I sent you a note, and, and I said to you, "I'm sorry yes. that it turned out to be the Dan and Israel show, but uh, I wasn't going to let him overpower me, so I just kept on plugging." Was, but that was, uh, that, was uh, that was quite the deal. So I, was I, it was it too much? No, I loved it. I loved it, and we've gotten a lot of good feedback from folks who loved it too. And I'll tell you, it's a good thing Don wasn't there because then it would have been a tag team on Israel, and he wouldn't have had any backup. <laughs> well, you didn't invite me. <laughs> well, we're gonna. He have called to. me an hour before and asked me to bail him out. So yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. So now, let's talk about your, your your guest here. Now, John, John, today's topic, we're going to start out here with the German government preparing for civil unrest. John, give us your thoughts on this, and then we'll let Dan and Don jump in and ask you some questions, and we'll go around the horn here. Well, I, I would have to say yes. I mean, when you see things like, for example, the IRS and Social Security and other agencies um, storing hundreds of thousands of rounds into the millions of of ammunition, uh, when yep. you see all the police departments being militarized throughout the country, I mean, weapons that are far greater than they need to deal with, you know, the average problems, I mean, they're getting, the military is just giving them all sorts of tank, you know, semi-tanks and all, and equipment that something's going on within the federal government. Yes, I would say so. Now, Dan, uh, John's book but is... You're, you're- your question, Jim, if I understood yeah. it, is that you were specifically 
again, I may have misunderstood it. You were specifically asking our guest about the unrest in Germany. Yes, yes, that that was that. Oh, so sorry. was 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 your guest <laughs> answering about Germany or about the U.S.? No. Well, in well in Germany, uh, they to um, they came out I, I, two weeks ago or so. Yeah, uh, they told the German people to prepare for like a breakdown and have a week's supply of food and water and whatever else you need. Maybe it was more than a week. Uh, and Germany, um, it's sort of maybe all, the Civil War may have started already in there with the uh, fighting that's taking place and the people preparing to um, uh, come against the government for bringing all the uh, immigrants in that are destabilizing. Germany's being destabilized as we speak. Now, yeah, I, Dan, I, would, I would tend to agree with your uh, your guess because the stuff that I've read, Jim, talks about the 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 migration has brought in a huge number of young, employable people who have not found work in the German economy or chose not to work, and that the civil unrest uh, is uh, very scary. And as our friend IQ Iozoli said, that he thought that there would be civil war in Europe uh, probably by the end of the year. Uh, Germany, as, as our guests has said, is concerned about that. Um, and there seems to be this, this, but won't call them a gang, Jim. I will say this overpopulation of employable young people who have migrated to Europe by the tens of thousands who have not found work, who are depleting the, the social systems within the various countries they're in, and as a result are becoming more and more angry because they can't get a job they can't make income, and it's creating a tremendous amount of tension. Um, and yet, uh, in many respects, the black people in the United States, especially those in the inner cities, are feeling the same kind of pressures that the young um, Syrian immigrants are finding in Europe. The unemployment rate of, of, of black young people between the ages of 15 and 24 is something like 85% in this country. And, um, and so the, the, the militancy that we've seen in Black Lives Matter um, uh, has, is a manifestation of the anger and frustration in the inner city um, at the whites, but interestingly enough, at least at the moment, doesn't seem to be against the Democrats. Hmm. Can I jump in? Yeah, uh, sure. Um, it, it's interesting. Uh, my understanding of the problem in in G Germany and in, in Europe with these young immigrants is they don't have the skills uh, to um, uh, take the jobs necessary. I mean, if you go into a German factory and watch how the, how they work. Um, uh, and, and see how um, uh, these new immigrants work. Uh, there's a vast distant uh, difference, um, and the unions themselves, which have a very um, uh, long apprenticeship, very uh, clear uh, lines, uh, um, uh, are frightened that the, the quality will go down. Uh, you have an influx of new people, uh, and you have. Um, an influx, or uh, as Dan points out, the inner cities, both of them stem from the same problem, education. Um, I was talking to someone uh, today who uh, uh, was reading a manuscript I wrote about um, uh, being in high school, and the difference about how uh, students were expected to act and to achieve in high school when we were growing up and what's happening today um, makes um, makes it pretty apparent that we are not preparing young people for, for careers that that make sense. As more and more of the uh, uh, jobs uh, in today's Wall Street Journal, there's a story about how Target has fully automated a warehouse because there are no people to do a menial job of s stacking and retrieving um, goods. So, uh, 
Yeah, we may have a problem, though. I, I think it's uh, greatly exaggerated. When you when our guest brought up the subject, I can only go back to William Shire's book on the rise of uh, Nazi Germany, and uh, that warning was exactly what the Nazis said in 1935 uh, uh, to rally uh, Germans around the Nazi re re regime. Uh, we have a problem. Uh, I think the Germans will handle it a lot better than we will. Um, and I, I seriously doubt we will have a revolution by the end of the year. Well, I would, I would, I would say that I don't necessarily agree with my esteemed colleague <laughs> because I think that one of the problems that, that the German people, the German government is, has already announced that it's a problem is that these people Don's right. They don't speak the language, but they make they have made no attempt to begin to assimilate into the German culture. See that before this mass immigration, a significant portion of the people that were employed in German factories were foreign nationals, and they came to Germany for opportunity from poor nations, but they assimilated into the language and the culture, understood the laws and behaved a certain way. These people are making no attempt to assimilate into the German culture. They want to change the German culture to their culture. And uh, the German people are resisting that. Uh, I, I would like to know uh, more about what our get, the, the book that our guest has written, and tell us more about your storyline. Uh, you're interested in my book, Is America's Done to Israel? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, the book is in three parts, and I've looked at American history from kind of unique angle because uh, I've applied uh, the Bible to it. And the Bible talks about a unique link between God and the Jewish people, um, and that nations that bless the Jewish people are blessed, and America from its very beginning did. And I go into American history kind of in a way that's seldom been written about. Then I, I look into current events, how America has dealt with Israel, and I look into uh, Bible prophecy. So it gives you a kind of big, broad overview that, um, like I said, it's, it's some of the work I wrote was groundbreaking. And is there any particular... So, um, I'm... I'm not trying to be biased or prejudiced here. I'm trying to get a fact. First question, sir, are you a Jew yourself? And two, how has the Jewish community reacted to your book? Uh, no, I'm not Jewish. My, uh, my father and mother are from Ireland, and they're not, uh, they're not Jewish. Uh, that question has been asked uh, quite a bit. Uh, the book has been uh, very favorably received. Uh, the uh, <clears throat> the Jewish people uh, really don't know as a whole. Now, of course, I'm broad brushing it. They really don't know their their own history involving America. Um, the the Jews were in America before the Germans and before the Irish came and the Scots came. 1654 is when the Jews first came to America and they landed in uh, New York. Yeah. And the American Revolution. Um, Virtually every the population was small. There was about 3,000 uh, Jews in America at the time. But uh, everybody joined the revolution, and they gave their all. And there were George Washington's aide-de-camp, for example, was a Jew, and his personal physician at Valley Forge uh, was a Jewish man. And the Jews have been greatly blessed. And generally speaking, there have been some rough times. But generally speaking, they have been greatly blessed in America. You know, it's interesting you, you raise a point. Excuse me, Don, just for one second. You raise a point is something that I, I had lunch today with a retired two-star admiral, and we were talking about uh, history, much like what you were talking about. And we were talking about how the way we as a country teach history today, and I'm 70 and who knows how old Don is, um, <laughs> But uh, I haven't done that for a long time. That felt felt so good. <laughs> anyway, um, Don doesn't look a day over. 30. They're not teaching history today. That they do. <laughs> what? Don doesn't look a day over Go ahead. thirty. Okay. On, 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 on so uh, enough of the Don jokes. All right. So, <laughs> no. but but I, I, I 
you know, I, I think that the curriculum that we're teaching in our schools today doesn't teach uh, young people about their history. And uh, uh, much like what you were saying, the Jewish people, which is surprising to me uh, that in the Jewish state that the Jew- young Jewish people don't know the history of, of their culture and their and their language and their their community um, uh, is much like what we're experiencing in the United States. And I wonder why do you think what happened in the Jewish culture that they don't didn't teach their history? Well, I I don't know if I heard you correctly, but I was talking about American history with uh, with the Jews. Is that what you're referring to? No, what I'm, what I'm saying is that whether you call it American history with Jews, what I'm saying is that I believe that that we no longer teach history of our relationships, whether it was with England or France or Israel or Saudi Arabia or any of these countries. We don't teach it any longer the way they used to teach it when I was growing up in high school. And I'm curious as to why that history got lost. I don't know. I don't know exactly how this happened. Uh, it's probably over a long period of time. But the American educational system has been kind of dumbed down. Um, you know, I, 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 there's just low requirements. There's not in-depth teaching. Um, we we homeschooled our kids for quite a period of time. I have four kids, and then we uh, we supplemented. We we homeschooled them until high school, and then we put them in high school, and we supplemented their education. It, it just didn't seem to be very, the public school system just didn't seem to be very challenging anymore. And it was I go back to the 50s, I'm about your age, and it was it was challenging. We had a lot of, a lot of work, there was a lot of homework, and you know, I, we did learn a lot in high school, and it just, how exactly it happened but it just seems like the American educational system was dumbed down. You know, it's interesting, uh, Dan. Um, in my book, uh, my book, um, an American family uh, uh, <laughs> I, 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 sampler. Thank you. You're um, In my, the white family is half Jewish throughout the uh, the book. Um, uh, I grew up uh, uh, in, in Newark, where there was uh, a, he- a heavy Jewish population. But one of the things that was t- uh, told to me many years ago was, don't forget, uh, from the period 1920 to 1965, a majority of Jewish um, young people um, who didn't go into finance or law went into teaching. And they... Um, were uh, fully salted within the American educational system, and uh, it's it's interesting. Even um, while today uh, the number of Jewish teachers, for instance, in the New York school system is still high, it is less than one half of what it was 20 years ago. And uh, Jewish teachers demanded of the, of the students uh, just as much. Uh, and I think many of them left the system after um, we started to dampen down education. Uh, Dan, your point about we don't teach history is correct. Uh, what I think our guest is saying is we don't t- teach enough about the Jewish role in the history, uh, and particularly American hi- uh, history, and we should do more of that because uh, in the end, our one solid ally in the West, uh, in the Middle East, despite what P- President Obama has done to it, is still Israel. Mm. And I'd like to go on to the second part of his book. Yes, yes, John. Uh, let, let's let, let, let's talk a little bit about your uh, the second part of your book here, my friend. Well, the second part of my book is very controversial, and um, I'll, I'll I'll lay it out in general. Now, uh, the Jewish people are unique in history because, well, actually twice, going back to 2600 B.C., twice the Jews were driven off their land uh, and dispersed, and yet they came back. 
Uh, the first time was, I'm going by rough date, 600 B.C. by the Babylonians. Uh, they were, Israel was completely destroyed, the religious system, the political system, the whole country was destroyed, yet the Jews came back and they rebuilt uh, everything but their political system. Uh, they remained under foreign powers. And then in 600 years later, um, in 70 A.D., the Romans did the same thing. They destroyed uh, Jerusalem, the capital. They destroyed the nation. They destroyed the religious system. And basically, the Jews were scattered throughout the world. Uh, and then in May 1948, Israel was back as a nation, with Hebrew as their language. Um, they, they had shekels for money, which is their ancient language. Their ancient capital, uh, well, it was united in 1967, but their ancient capital, Israel, again became the capital of a Jewish state. And we can look at it as um, Israel as being as any other nation, but if you look at it uh, over the long period of time, there is no other nation like Israel, twice dispersed, uh, their, their entire country destroyed, their religious system destroyed. Um, they had temple worship. Uh, the language became extinct, and all in their back, in the back. And there's there's chapters in the Bible about that, the dispersion of the Jewish people and, and the restoration of the Jewish people. And there's Bible verses about when the Jewish people come back into the land, when Israel is a nation again, not to touch that nation, not to divide the land, not to interfere with Jerusalem. Well, in... Um, in my book, I show what I, what I call blessings that came upon America as they were, say, cooperating with God and his plan. And then starting, and I'm apolitical in this. I have no axe to grind, Republican, Democrat. I'm just sort of like a, a scribe uh, reporting events. <laughs> uh, starting in 1990, senior and the perfect uh, and the uh, Madrid peace process, it was designed to divide the land of Israel and Jerusalem in violation of God's word. And on October 30th, 1991, while George Bush was speaking in Madrid, Spain, a freakish storm uh, developed in the North Atlantic that became a hurricane. Now, you know, who's ever heard of a hurricane in the North Atlantic in, at, at any time? And it was a retrograde storm. That means the weather patterns in the United States go from west to east and south to north. This storm went east to west and north to south. It happens rarely, once every two, three hundred years, and it, it raked the coast of the United States and destroyed George Bush's home in Kittybunkport, Maine, while he was um, proposing this major peace process to destroy the land of Israel. In fact, the name Perfect Storm was coined by a meteorologist because of this event where three extremely rare weather patterns came together to create what he said was the perfect storm, which part of it was destroying George Bush's home in Kennebunkport, Maine. Well, from that time on, disaster after disaster after disaster, I've correlated with what we're doing to Israel. Yeah. Uh, four year, uh, uh, the next year, for example, was Hurricane Andrew. And on the very day that hit, August 24th, um, the Madrid peace process <clears throat> had been transferred to the United States, and they were meeting in Washington at 10 a.m. on that day. At six, by 6 a.m., the perfect storm, had, uh, not the perfect storm, Hurricane Andrew, had gone across Florida and was into the Gulf heading towards uh, Louisiana. And at that time, that was the greatest natural disaster in U.S. history. And it was the same day event, literally. Uh, that, that storm hit America on the same day the Madrid peace process was meeting in the United States that divide the land of Israel. Now, you know, people say, well, it's all coincidence. And I, I can understand uh, people not accepting this, but I linked it to warnings in the Bible to same-day events. And I have, in the book, I have about 40 or 50, and then I've kept them up 
since the book. Uh, the book has gotten pretty thick, and I can't really uh, add anything to it. Uh, but I have event after event after event, uh, and at some point it stops being a coincidence. Yes. You know, at some point. Well, Dan. So that's what I did. Dan. Yes, sir. Uh, what 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 do you make of? Uh, Make of uh, John's uh, John's explanation there, and some of the different things he brings up. Well, it's in, uh, it's interesting to listen to what he's talking about because he's talking about the resiliency of the Jewish faith and the Jewish people. Yet he's now saying that the Jewish people have forgotten the history of their relationship um, with America in the first part of his book. Um, and I wonder if what his thoughts would be about whether or not the Jewish people can survive a third time not knowing where they came from and where they're going. Oh, I, I don't think there's going to be a third time. There's going to be, uh, now I'm going according to the Bible, there's going to be uh, really rough events in the Middle East, and but in the end, uh, Israel's left standing. That's Say the last part. I could just barely hear you, John. And yeah. that's the third part of my book. That's the third part. I go into uh, Bible prophecy about what's going What, In fact, uh, the book, is it, it's got a lot of life in it. I, I published it in the mid, uh, around 2007, and it still sells very good. It's a very good-selling book. But I started to talk about the things that were in the book, oh, 20 years ago, and the things that I talked are in, right in front of our eyes. I was talking about Turkey. I talked about Russia's involvement. I talked about the formation of what we would call ISIS coming, of Hezbollah, of Hamas, and uh, and just just about everything that I was writing about has uh, is formulating now right in front of our eyes, including a civil war be, between Islam, between the Shiites, which would be led by Iran, and the Sunnis, uh, led by um, Egypt and um, Turkey and Saudi Arabia, uh, and I call it a, an Islamic civil war, that that would be coming, and the, the winner that was left standing, which I believe will be the Sunnis, uh, but they were going to form a caliphate. It's a, a caliphate, in case you're not familiar with it, it's sort of like a Islamic uh, confederation of tribes. And if you, you could look at the United States, 50 states with the federal government, as like a caliphate. So you have all these scattered um, Islamic tribes coming together with one head over them, and that's called a caliphate. Uh, Would you expect that uh, under your under your under that scenario, John, that the uh, the old Ottoman Empire would come back, but under the control of the Saudis? You're exactly right. Um, if you've listened to, and I report, I have a blog, John McTurner's Insights, and I follow the Middle East very closely every day. And Turkey, literally, they have made statements that they want to revive the old uh, Ottoman Empire. They, that's one of their. It, it seems like everybody wants to revive their empires now in the Middle East because Iran literally wants to revive the Persian Empire. Uh, so we have. Well, you're, ta you're, ta you're talking about uh, the Ottoman Empire being uh, the equivalent of the Islamic State of Iran and and Levant, which would be a reunification that would, in essence, recreate the Ottoman Empire. Yes, they all have these desires to, and they're all, uh, and, and this is one of the things that's unique about this. If you listen to Iran now, and I report this regularly, as they say it on my blog, uh, they want to destroy Israel and take Jerusalem. Uh, Erdogan right. in uh, Turkey, uh, he is, he, right now he's, he wants to be nice with Israel, uh, but he said the same thing. Uh, that he wants, they want to revive the Ottoman Empire and they want Jerusalem. Hezbollah wants no. Jerusalem. Hamas wants Jerusalem. Um, they all, they all want Jerusalem. The Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt—that's primarily where they're centered. Uh, I've reported videos with mass um, revival.
rivals, if you want to call them that, in Egypt, when Morsi, who was the head of the, uh, uh, he was from the Muslim Brotherhood, and they had hundreds of thousands at these rallies talking about destroying Israel, killing all the Jews, and making Jerusalem the capital of an Islamic caliphate. So all mm-hmm. of them in the Middle East want Jerusalem. Mm. So John, tell us about your third part of your book. That's it. We're, we're actually talking about it now. I'm into um, the third part of the book is about the Middle East, what, where it's all heading, uh, and I wrote it from a perspective of about, well, 20 years ago, and it's all unfolding. When I wrote the book, Russia was really on its knees and um, was no threat to anyone, and I, I, I wrote in the book that Russia was coming back. Russia was going to come back, maybe not as a world power, but as the regional power there in uh, heading towards the Middle East and into Europe. And that's exactly what's happening now, right in front of our very eyes. If you, Russia's like the phoenix uh, are rising. Do you think, John, that while, you, while you're using the, the illustration of, of Russia being the phoenix rising, given the tremendous shortage of revenue from the sale of oil that was funding the Russian budget and the fact that uh, Putin has been selling many state assets to generate cash flow to pay his bills, that if oil continues to stay at low prices, is the power of Russia going to diminish because they're just going to run out of money? Uh, That's a tremendous question. And... um uh, again, I've been writing about that. What you said, I've been writing about that on my blog, uh, because at some point, if, if the price of oil stays low, and of course, you know, Iran coming back online selling oil is going to keep further drive and keep the price of oil low. Um, right. It's, that's one of the downsides of what they've done with Iran. But I, the analogy I use is uh, World War II with the Japanese, uh, the United States, uh, Great Britain, uh, and the Dutch, and I don't know whoever else, in July of 1941 put an embargo on Japan, oil and steel, because of what Japan was doing in China. I mean, they were, they were trying to conquer China, and they were brutalizing the, uh, the Chinese people. Mm-hmm. And when we put the embargo on Japan, they had roughly six to seven months in oil reserve because Japan has no uh, oil at all. They have to import all their oil. So the Japanese right. had a choice of either going to war or, um, or or stopping their war machine in China. And of course we know within that six, seven month window in, 19, in uh, December 7th they attacked the United States and chose to go to war and that's what started World War II. And I feel it's the same way with Russia that there's a window that Russia has. Now, I don't know what that window is. Uh, Russia's, I thought that window was up by now, uh, but they're, they're very resilient. Uh, the people are tightening their belts there. But at the current economic state of Russia, it has a window just like the Japanese had. And uh, I believe that Putin uh, will move, that he will not succumb, just like the Japanese did. But the problem is we don't know what that window is. Is it six, three months, six months? Does he have? Can they hold out for two years? I don't know. Well, the the uh, World Economic Council said last fall that they felt that if these oil prices stayed below fifty dollars, that um, Russia would be bankrupt in eighteen months, and Saudi Arabia would be up bankrupt within three years. So there is a window, and it's probably about a year left for Russia. Like I said, there is a window. But, Putin knows what it is. And, uh, but, but to take you... Please continue. You're the guest. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, these, are, um, uh, these are times... I look at the times now. In some respects, it's like World War One. In other respects, it's like World War II. It's kind of like the issues that started World War One and the issues that started World War II are blending together right in front of our eyes. I mean, Putin is not a Boy Scout, 
And when you see him mobilize his entire army, and the the, the Russian army and every uh, the Russian military in every way looks top quality. Uh, of course, it's smaller, it's substantially smaller, but it's a lean, mean fighting machine. And you look out into Asia and you see uh, China, and China just claimed the South China Sea as its own and is threatening any warships that come in there, they're going to attack them, and any military pub in, they're going to shoot them down. And, uh, you know, this I get the gut feeling that this is pre- World War II times we're living in now, or we could say pre-World War III, but these issues are like, uh, it's like a cycle coming back to the way it was in uh, 1938 heading into 1939. Well, can I, can I comment uh, three things? One, I agree with you uh, what you're saying. I think if uh, Donald Trump is elected president, you can rest assured the rest of the world will, will test him in the first uh, six months of his presidency. That's the w way it's been um, f for at least the last 40 years. Uh, I just wanted to point out to you, the smart move for the Japanese, instead of bombing Pearl Harbor, would have moved south to the oil fields of Sumatra, or then called Sumatra, which would have uh, given them all the oil they needed, but instead they went went to war with the United States. If they had stayed with the Dutch, um, uh, fighting just the Dutch and the British, they would have been uh, better off. Um, I'm I'm probably the only one who's uh, actually served with the uh, Israeli army. Um, I've I've been I've done two wars with them as um, a correspondent, and. Um, Everything you've you've said today, uh, I think the average um, uh, Israeli uh, army officer or uh, armed force officer would agree with. Um, the, the unfortunate part is that the Israeli uh, army has deteriorated as a fighting force in the last 20 years, precisely because of what you said earlier, which is that... Um, the, the current generation of uh, uh, Israeli citizens do not have the same feeling of culture and relationship to the uh, uh, pioneers uh, that, than their fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers did. Um, I think your book is very prescient on all of this, and uh, I think it's a good topic. I'll give, go back to you. Oh, well, thank you. I, I, I'm, I'm glad that uh, you think my book is good. It, it put a lot of, I put a lot of effort into it. It covers a lot of information. Like I say, it has American history in a very unique way, uh, current events in a very unique way, and then uh, uh, Bible prophecy showing uh, where we're heading. And uh, it, it's, um, it's a tense time that we are, are facing because I'm, I don't claim in any way, shape, or form to be a prophet. All I'm doing is looking at the Bible and sort of placing it into current events. And the Bible indicates the nation we call Russia is going to be a major power, and it's going to be a major antagonist of Russia, of Israel. And that there's an awesome war coming uh, with Russia and, uh, and united with Iran. Now, I'm going right... Uh, of course, Iran isn't called Iran in the Bible. It's called... Persia. And Russia is going to be united with Persia, and other countries are going to be involved with your name. One of them is going to be Turkey. And that's why I believe that there's a war coming that's going to kind of settle the difference between uh, Persia and, uh, and Turkey. And they're, they're going to unite and uh, attack Israel, and they don't fare out too well. Israel is left standing. So. Well, uh, uh, frankly, uh, if you combine um, uh, Turkey and Iran against Israel, um, someone said this week um, there are 400 missiles aimed at Tehran, uh, but um, uh, still no, uh, Israel, Israel can, cannot fight uh, today a two-front two war, <coughs> which it will be forced to do. Should uh, uh, Turkey and Iran um, uh, team up, 
it's interesting you point out uh, Russia and Iran, because as you know, for the first time in two, 200 years, um, Iran and Russia have signed an agreement to share share information and trade. The first time in 200 years. So, and trade is always the uh, forerunner of alliances. So you may be right. Isn't it? Yes, yes, it is. Dan, no comment. Well, me? Mm-hmm. Yes, or John. You let me, uh, Dan. You, there, there's meat here on the table for you. So <laughs> take it up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you, you know, um, no, um, I find your book interesting. <laughs> Dan's books uh, uh, cover m- m- in a different way, but in the same um, on a, in the same angle. The, the attacks um, on, uh, on the United States. But uh, I ask our guest: You seem to be concentrating on uh, foreign uh, problems. What, what do you see for the for um, the domestically? In, well, in the United States, well, we seem to be um, disintegrating as a culture. Uh, and, of course, um, I think Western Europe is leading the way. Um, we seem to be, in the past, uh, oh, I'd say 20 years behind Western Europe, but we're, we're catching up fast. But we don't seem to um, be, our culture is, like, dissolving away, uh, for example, with immigration we have to control who comes into the country. And it has nothing to do with bigotry or anything like that. It's just that we can only take so many people in. We've got to make sure that the people are, uh, they, they, uh, they want to be agree with us. Uh, they don't want to destroy us. They don't want to bomb us. They don't want to change our culture to their culture. That seems to be gone. Uh, there doesn't seem to be the will now. With Trump running, uh, uh, you, you could say, well, a certain segment, we're rising, we want to protect our borders, we want to watch who's coming in. Uh, but in Europe, uh, it, they seem, there seems to be a self-hatred for your own culture. That's what I pick up. We're heading into a cultural crisis here. Um, we've had policies which have destroyed the cities. We've made trade agreements that have taken, like here in Pennsylvania, I live in Pennsylvania. I mean, whole industries are completely and yeah, they're just gone. Like, what, what do you do? You know, we is this been designed to do this, or is this blindly that we did it? Did someone design these treaties knowing full well that entire industries were going to be gone from America and shipped overseas? Well, this has hit Pennsylvania hard. It's hit Ohio hard. I, you know, I live in this area, so I know it. But there's something, we have a crisis in America where we've lost our culture, so to speak. Well, we have a situation in the United States where we have the leadership of the country, the president and the Democratic candidate for president, want to have open, free, and unrestricted borders. And there is no requirement for assimilation. They can open the borders and anybody can come in regardless of their culture and do whatever they want to do. It is an extension um, of what's going, you're right, what's going on in Europe. I believe what's happening in Europe is there are two factors going on. One is you have the Brits leaving the EU because they want to have more control of their own lives as opposed to bureaucrats in Brussels telling them what they're going to do. And number two, the influx of the of the immigrants into, into Europe has caused a tremendous amount of nationalism or patriotism by the residents there who are afraid that they're going to lose their culture, their history, and their heritage, and it's all going to become Muslim. And so we have this clash of basically political correctness. And I believe that uh, the, the Europeans are ahead, but we're coming fast up to them, making political correctness the law of the land in the United States. And I think that the reaction that you're seeing with the people that are supporting Trump, it's finally the the great unwashed mass is is much like they did in England on the Brexit vote. The the middle class the, and everybody else is saying, 
to hell with the elites, to hell with the politicians. It's my country. I want to save it. And I think that's happening in Europe. It's also happening in the United States. Whether it's possible that there are enough people left to save the country, I don't know. It doesn't appear to be enough people left to save Europe. And uh, I don't know what's going to happen to Europe, uh, but I don't think it's positive. Well, I don't think it's positive either. I mean, I, I, out, out in the open, they're calling, like France, they're calling it, uh, uh, excuse me, Paris, they're calling it Paris-Stan. And Brussels, Brussels-Stan now, where uh, the, on the average, the Muslims do not um, assimilate. About, there's been study after study after study on this. About 10% of the Muslim population uh, assimilate the other... 90% don't. It doesn't matter what country they go in, as the population of the Muslims increase, the assimilation decreases. So right now in France, there are whole sections of, uh, like Paris, for example, and other cities that are Muslim enclaves that want their own culture, they want Sharia law, um, they want their own policing, and they're like little Islamic enclaves spread throughout Europe, and it hasn't quite happened here in America yet. We don't oh, yes, it has. Go to Michigan. You'll find a lot of those yeah, in Michigan. Yeah, Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But not quite like it hasn't reached the stage it is in Europe yet. But that's the way it is. Um, no. So we have to uh, filter out who's coming, who will, who is a benefit to America, who are we going to allow in that is a benefit to America. That's what we need. John, but what you're, espous- what you're espousing is the abandonment of political correctness. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I am not. How, how, do you, how do you convince people who believe that, as Mrs. Clinton said, it takes a village to raise a child? <laughs> how, do you, how do you convince people who believe that political correctness is the way that we should live our lives, whether it's in Europe or the United States? How do you convince them that to control your borders, your culture, and your language helps define yourself as a nation? How do you convince those people who don't agree with that? Well, uh, some you can never convince, but they become ideologues. And no matter what you say, they just, they're an ideologue and they're not going to change. I mean, you can show them absolute proof and over and over they're not going to change, so there's nothing you can do with them. But it's the others that haven't become ideologues. You show them where we're heading, and you show them... Uh, that, well, for example, we've been talking about Islam. I mean, uh, most people don't know what Shi'ira law is. And, uh, well, uh, Islam. Islam is way more than a religion. When you, when you look at Islam, and you look at Mohammed, and you look at uh, Islam through the, through the centuries, it is a political system. It is an economic system, it is a social system, it is a military system, and it is a, is a religious system. So to the Muslims, when they come into another country, if, if they believe in Islam, it's natural for them to want to change that country to Islam. So they want to change the political system, the economic system, the social system, um, and that's what they do as they uh, enter into country. So we have to face that. And so I tell the people the truth, and some want to hear it and some don't. But I will tell you this, what I consider a positive note, there are far more people now that understand what's happening and are responding to it than there was even five years ago. You know, 15 years, 10, 15, 20 years ago, I felt like, uh, you know, I was crying in the wilderness. Hmm. Um, but now... So, so did Dan and me. <laughs> you know? What's that? Dan, 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 and Don feel the exact same way. Yeah, yeah. I, I so I'm encouraged in that sense that there are there is a, a significant number that I think can change things that understand. But the bad thing is, there's a lot of damage been done in the meantime. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> a lot of. It. A lot of damage that that um, we don't know uh, how much damage has been done. Um, 
in the education system, how the children have been indoctrinated into a different way of life and thinking, um, the political ramifications of of a unassimilated population that has different goals and objectives. I mean, you 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 have people in, in of the Muslim faith in the United States who, as you said, want Sharia law to be the law of the land, and um, you know, I uh, a number of years, a couple of years ago, I broke a story about the Sharia court outside of Dallas, Texas, and uh, on Jim's shows, as a matter of fact. And um, um, there were people in Dallas, Texas, who didn't even know that in Irving next door there was a Sharia court, and they were practicing. And when the judges of the Sharia court were were interviewed and asked when there's a conflict will you defer to the constitution or sharia law all of them said unanimously to sharia law so how can a country survive how how can any country whether it's u.s or european how can it function and survive longer term with two sets of laws of how the people are governed mm-hmm. well exactly well, you're exactly right and how can we survive with enclaves uh, in cities, for example, where you can't go? I mean, what kind of a nation is this? <laughs> where if you go into a, another, a certain area of the city, well, I, I think the big one for this right now in Europe is, is like Brussels and into Belgium. You don't hear too much about mm-hmm. it. But Belgium is, with the children, um, in, in, children are born, the most popular name is Mohammed. Belgium, and you, you yep. have these enclaves there. Uh, apparently, the police don't go in it. They have, they're their own society. In there, I mean, how do we survive if, if these things grow and you have twenty percent of the population like that, or thirty percent? Uh, what kind of a nation is this? Great question. Very great question. It, it, it just you've been saying that since the. First time I met you. <laughs> yep, that's true. I mean, it's it is. If if you, uh, I, I take no credit for it. It was it was um, Michael Savage who said a nation that cannot define its borders, its language and culture, is no longer a nation. Yep. And we have people, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton and other Democrats, who believe that we should have open and free borders. And we should allow the practice of Sharia law, and um, we don't have to learn. People don't have to learn English, and um, so we're destroying the border, we're destroying the culture, and we're destroying the language. What's left? I, I, not much. Well, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that, and I, it's taken me a while, but I believe I figured it out. Uh, they hate America. They hate American <laughs> culture, and they hate American history. In their mind, well, um, the Jewish foundation of America is evil. See, most of them, like if you talk to Obama, he's fine with Chavez, and he's fine with these um, bowing to kings, you know, and, and he'll be fine with going over to China with their uh, tyrants and all. But we, the people with the Judo-Christian background, are like all of evil in the world and America from day one has been nothing with, but evil you know, every nation every culture has evil if you don't look you know you go to Japan you look at Germany you know French they had their empires and did things and the Chinese had it. I mean every every nation you could look at but for these people in America they hate us all they see is slavery that's all they see that they, their whole view of America is nothing but slaves, slavery. Uh, the Civil War means nothing to them. You know, fighting for, like, the, the Civil Rights Amendment. It's almost like the Civil War didn't happen to these people. You know, they, they it's just evil. America's pure evil. So they want to destroy us. They literally want to destroy us. So our borders now are like Guatemala and Honduras and um, El Salvador. That's where our southern border is. And mm-hmm. uh, Muslim Islam is good because Islam is against the Judo-Christian uh, background, 
and anything that is against American history, anything that's against American culture, therefore, they love it. John, in my in the first book of my trilogy on it, radical Islamic nuclear terrorism, the title of that book is The Brotherhood of the Red Nile, A Terrorist Perspective. And in that book, I, I understand that the American people do not understand Sharia law, they don't understand the Koran, and they don't understand why these people hate us so much and want to kill us. And I try and help them understand the level of hatred for the American way of life. And what we don't understand as a nation, that the things that we do in our society enrages them even more so. And we don't understand that, in many cases, our actions in the United States cause the reaction in the Islamic world. When the Supreme Court decided that they were going to define marriage, and if you're... If you're a Christian or you're a Jew or a Muslim who has history going back thousands of years for the arrogance of of nine justices of the United States Supreme Court to redefine what marriage is and to say that it can be between a man and a man and a woman and a woman absolutely enraged the Muslim people because that is not what it teaches in the Quran or under Sharia law. And so they have a, a, a in their in their law, as you know, in Saudi Arabia and many of the Middle Eastern countries, gays and lesbians are persecuted, if not killed, for being gays and lesbians. And yet, the American court, the American system, uh, honors uh, homosexuality, uh, which is abhorrent to them in their religion. And we have no clue what the reaction is going to be when we do something in our own country. Well, just look at the bombings that, that occurred over the weekend. This one guy got enraged from from, from it. Uh, more and more stuff's coming out. But I have to, uh, to say, uh, Jiggy, where did you get IQ2? I'm not sure. I'm not sure where we where we found him, John. You are uh, you're you're quite amazing today, my friend. We definitely are going to have to have you and uh, Don and Dan and 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 the original IQ Alvarezoli on uh, on a show sometime. Uh, we're kind of up against the clock here, gentlemen. Um, Dan. But before before we let uh, our guests go, Dan, uh, I know that you've got some final thoughts here. Then we'll let Don wrap it up, and uh, we'll let John mention his book one more time. Then we'll get out of here. Yeah, I think it's important, Jim, that 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 what we try and do on this show is to try and to help people understand that there are things that they can read that will help them understand why, as John so well put, these people hate us so much. Yes. So I would encourage him. To, to go to get John's book, I also encourage them to go get my book, the trilogy. You can get it at Amazon or Barnes and Noble. And my book website is uh, danperkins.guru. And our foundation, as always, Jim, is Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us. John, thanks for being on the show. Definitely. Yes, thank you, and uh, God bless everybody. You can find me at usaprophecy.com. USAProphecy.com. Well, before we let you go, Don, uh, uh, wrap us up here, my friend. Well, seldom do I get the opportunity. <laughs> all I'm going to, uh, all I'm going to say, uh, my book, an American uh, family sampler, um, uh, is a nice compliment to our guest's uh, book because the two, uh, one, the white family, uh, you know, as you know, there's one white and one black. Yeah. Family over two hundred years of his of American history uh, is is half Jewish, and uh, there is an awful lot of um, material in there that I think uh, backs up what John is saying. Um, you can find all of that at domazello dot com. You know you know about our uh, 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 other site two sb digest dot yeah. com. And smallbusinessdigestmag.com. But, uh, but uh, can't let uh, you go without reminding people about uh, two, two men from, uh, two guys from Verona.com yes. tonight at 8 o'clock. We've got a great guest, 
and also we've got some great material that Dan's dug up that I think we uh, our audience would enjoy. W4YC uh, uh, Radio dot com. Awesome stuff, Dan. Well, can you add something? Yes, w4cyradio.com on your on your internet uh, on your computer. Thanks, Jim. Now, uh, now, now Thank you, Jim. Dan, Don, we will talk to you guys next week along with our returning IQ Al Rizzoli. and John. I appreciate you making time for us today. Thanks for coming in and chatting with us and uh, and answering some tough questions and making it a fun show. Oh, well, thank you. God bless you, and God bless all your listeners. Definitely. Well, everybody, have yourself a wonderful week, and we'll talk soon. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Bye. That was Dan Perkins. That was Don Mazzella. We are going to wrap things up here. Join us next week. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.